afternoon, everybody. It's a little after 5 o'clock on a Wednesday, and uh, it's a perfect time to sit down and let's share a cup of joe. You know, um, here we are. We're rolling up to the end of the year, and a lot of things are happening. This is a really busy time for a lot of people. And it's a time where, you know, last week we talked about remembering all the people that uh, time stands still for them, people that are locked up, people that are currently uh, incarcerated for nonviolent drug offenses, especially cannabis cases. It makes no sense. You know, we live in a world, if you, if you pay attention to uh, what's happening in the world, there's a lot of, of change happening, a lot of, of uh, unrest, a lot of discord, a lot of, uh, of, of disagreements, a lot of, of problems. And it's nothing new. You know, if you go back and look at any point in history and really look at it, you'll find that anywhere since the first civilization's sprung up, there's been conflicts, there's been governments that are trying to oppress their people and take advantage of them, and the people that are uh, ruling tend to take advantage of those that they can. It's no different than every now and again a, a, a group of people rise up and push that government down and start a new one, and over time, Generally, that one will get sour as well, and on it goes. And there's a lot of that going on right now. You know, we live in a world where I think individuals, the people, have more power than we've ever had because we have access to each other. We have information we can share. And there's, for all intents and purposes, more freedom available in the world today than there ever has been at any other time. And you would think, at least I would think, I don't know what you would do, but I know I would think that when people get a taste of freedom that they would recognize it. When they, when they taste liberty, they would cherish it. They would protect it. They would treat it as though it was valuable. They would treat it as though it could be taken back away from us. But it doesn't seem to be what generally happens. What generally happens is we get used to things. We get used to things pretty quickly. We get used to, um, you know, when, when uh, you're little and, and you get an allowance, all of a sudden you're, Get your five bucks a week or ten bucks a week. Next thing you know, you're spending five or ten bucks a week, and you get used to spending it. Um, you get a freedom. You get a driver license. All of a sudden, you can drive a car. You get used to driving that car. Whatever it is, we get used to things pretty quickly. And I think that the freedoms that we've gained historically, I think we've just gotten used to them. And then... Little by little, they get taken away from us. And I don't know, I feel like like the U.S. anyways, I don't know that every country is that way, but I know it seems that we are here, at least chunks of us, 
all the government has to do is say, it's for your safety. And then we say, okay, fine, take it. You know, there's some kind of a saying that says, well, we all have to make sacrifices if we're going to be protected. You know, we give up things so that we can be protected. But if you look around, I don't feel all that protected. I feel more protected by me and the things that I have to protect myself than I do from my government. In fact, frankly, most of the time, if I think about my government, I... I've got to pay them some money or I have to do something or I have to worry about them coming and doing something to me. I've never, ever had a situation where I said, oh, cool, look, it's the government. They came and helped. They did something nice for me. And that holds true with law enforcement, part of the government. The justice system, part of the government. All of it. And I'm not saying it's all bad. I'm just saying... In my own personal experience of 53 and a half years, I've never once had the government make me smile. I guess way back when, you know, I worked for for somebody and, and filed my income taxes, and, of course, they took out too much money, so then I'd get a tax refund check, and I'd go, whoa, I got a refund check. But the truth was, they had my money the whole time. That was my money. It wasn't their money. So I actually shouldn't have been super happy about that, but when we get something, it makes us feel good. Anyhow, there's a lot of change going on right now. There's political change. You know, we're coming up on an election. We're dealing with another impeachment. Now, if you go back and look through history, for the first hundred years of our existence, there was one impeachment that ever happened. And now in the past 50 years, there's been three, or there's about to have been three. I don't know what it is. I don't know if we're getting more ridiculous about using that, or if we're getting more corrupt and and calling people out on it. I don't know the answer to that, and I'm not here to get into a political argument with anybody. I know a lot of people have a lot of strong feelings, but I know that when you start peeling that onion back, most of those strong feelings are just that. They're not necessarily based on facts or, or, or actual truths, but rather our perceptions of them and opinions of them. And so this is not a political show. It's not ever going to be a political show. It's a, it's a show about grassroots organizing. It's a show about making change. It's a show about empowering each other. It's a show about supporting each other. It's a show about changing the world. This is a show that's brought to you by the Human Solution International, a federally recognized 501c3 human rights organization that firmly believes that there's no reason on the planet that anybody should ever be locked up because of the cannabis plant, or frankly, any other plant. And yet, it happens. And when it happens, we try to stand up and do something about it. Our mission is to bring about change by educating and supporting uh, those that are suffering because of our war on drugs and other bad policies that we have that uh, infringe on our human rights. Educate and support. Those are our two main vehicles of making change. Um, we've been doing a lot of that in, in the last little bit. In the Midwest especially, we've got uh, a couple of cases that, that we've been uh, supporting I want to talk about one of them really briefly. Uh, there was a case, I believe it was today, um, 
and you know I'm watching my Missouri kick chapter and my Kansas chapter really kicking some ass right now and and uh, I had our chapter coordinators from Missouri I think they traveled 570 miles to go support somebody in court and I guess they had about 35 people show up and that made me feel really good it, it, it warmed my heart to think that right there in the Midwest where I don't spend any time I, you know, I've, I've been there a few times and I know some people but it's not a place I've, I've, I've campaigned and done a lot of, of, of work but we have some good people that are rising up and standing together and, and realizing how important it is to be there to support each other and um, you know when I hear that somebody traveled 570 some miles on some level I I cringe because I've done that. <laughs> I've traveled 1,100 miles in a in a whirlwind court support mission before, and it's brutal. It takes a lot out of you. And and so my hope is that every time that there's a court case that comes up, that we we rally local people as much as we can and, and get the numbers bigger and have people travel less. But you know what? When they do travel like that, man, you guys are friggin' heroes. I know what it's like, and I know what sacrifice it is, and I know how much it matters. I've been a victim of the drug war, and I have, uh, and I don't use the word victim very often, but when you get arrested for a nonviolent offense, you're being victimized. And I've had people stand in court for me. And while I came out in shackles and uh, slogged my way into the courtroom doing the perp shuffle, I um, looked out in the courtroom and saw a whole room full of people wearing these solidarity ribbons. And I tell you what, it made me stand up straighter. It it recharged my batteries. It gave me hope and it gave me energy and it and, and it inspired me to keep fighting. And it made a difference. And in exchange, I've I've done the same for many many people, and I continue to do so. So anytime we talk about court support. I tell you what, if you've never been to court, I would highly encourage you to show up, even if it's just, even if it's just to, uh, to for the experience. I think you'll 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 find yourself changed after sitting in an actual courtroom, not a not a you know TV courtroom. Now we had a trial that that started on Monday and I it, it ended yesterday, and this is a case where we had. Uh, California resident that got pulled over in Kansas and charged with multiple felonies. And they came to us in, in asking for support. But you know what happens a lot of times is people people think that because of what they've seen, they've seen so many times where we've been able to bring lots and lots of people together and hold rallies and, and, and put together events that it's easy. They think that there's this, you know, I don't know, well-oiled machine that just cranks out these events just like that and pushes a button and everybody just shows up. They don't realize generally that it's, you know, hundreds of hours and lots of painstaking effort and, and letdowns and people saying they're going to come and they don't and, and so many hassles. It's a lot of work to organize these things, and that's why it's so important to get the defendants involved, actively involved. The defendants need to treat this like they're fighting for their own freedom. 
And um, then we encourage you <coughs> to pay attention. You know, we, we have a lot of experience in courtrooms all over the country and uh, state courtrooms and federal courtrooms and family law courtrooms, every kind of courtroom you can imagine. We've been in and we've experienced liberal judges and conservative judges and, and hard-ass judges and laid-back judges and every kind of judge you can imagine. And we've seen all kinds of things. And we can share a lot of that experience with you if you just give us a chance. And unfortunately, what happens is people will come to us and they'll say, hey, can you help me out? I got this case. And generally they'll come in way too late or they won't talk to us until it's too late. And then at the last second they, they chime in and, and they, they want help. But every once in a while, we get somebody that comes to us early enough, and we say, well, you know, get involved. You know, we'll, we'll, we'll rally for you. We'll set up a meeting. We'll, we'll organize, get our leadership together, and we'll give you some pointers, and we'll help you to help yourself. And as many of you might know, you know, we teach a lot about jury nullification, the power of each of us as a juror to render a judge impotent, if he gives you bad instructions, if he gives you bad law to follow. By bad, I mean a law that you would consider to be unjust or immoral. You have a right to nullify it, to say, no, 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 no. I'm not going to convict somebody of that. That's a terrible law. You know, I can't, I can't, I can't say that a woman is guilty of voting. She has a right to vote. I, I can't convict there's a lot of, of places for this because we have a lot of bad laws. And we teach people about how to effectively orchestrate a campaign for jury nullification. Got it. I'll be quick. Anyways, oh, it looks like Craig Cecil is here. All right. Um, here we go. We had a change in plans. Craig's going to be on. Um, here we go. Sorry about that. Let Adam know that it's going to be 10 minutes. Craig Cecil, how you doing? Hello from Terrahorn, Indiana, Joe. Uh, sorry I'm a little bit off on the timing today, but... Uh, with this being Christmas month, and guys get extra minutes, uh, they get a hundred extra minutes for the month on their telephone. So the the telephone lines have been exceedingly long lately. So we just kind of have to take what we get in December. Hey, not a problem. I'm just glad you were able to be here. I I had just got through kind of telling everybody that there it was the killing week in uh, Terre Haute, and they weren't going to be we weren't going to be able to talk to you. So I'm glad at least you're able to make it in. What happened is, is uh, the, the what they 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 can't get the uh, three drug cocktail anymore to kill people. The drugs that they use for that, they don't make in the United States anymore, and they they don't allow them to, you know, to import something to the United States to kill people. So they were going to use a new drug that they they've used once before in the state, 
and there's some questions as to whether the person, I guess, between being unconscious and their heart stopping, if there's, you know, that they somehow experience pain during that, during that time frame. So the court in Washington, D.C. put everything on hold until they try to figure out if the, the drug ban that they're planning on using, um, if that'll kill somebody painlessly. That's, that's the big question. So right now all the federal executions are on hold, and I really don't expect them until probably the early summer. Okay, well, I guess that's, uh, that's, that's either good news or bad news for the people that are going to be executed. Maybe they're tired of being in prison and, and, and wish for it, or, or maybe uh, they're glad to have a few extra days or weeks or months, or who knows. Maybe, uh, maybe we'll, we'll, we'll do away with it altogether. You never know. A lot of crazy things are happening from minute to minute out here. I, I agree, I agree. As you know, I have fundamental disagreements with just picking up somebody and killing them. But, uh, you know, I don't think anybody has that right. Uh, that, that, that just makes them a killer, just like the killer they're killing. But uh, on the other hand, you know, for the guys that are just locked up in that cage all day long, I, you know, I, I can understand if they if they want to just end it. Yeah, you know, it's... it's, it's um... It's kind of brutal because no matter uh, no matter how you feel about it, there's there's some reality happening, some major major reality happening, and and you know we have laws that that allow for things, but then it turns out that it, it, even though we live in a rule a rule of law government, that government kind of decides which which rules apply from from minute to minute, day to day, week to week. I don't know if you've noticed, but sometimes laws are more important than other laws, and sometimes rules are more important than other rules. And I, I find it kind of interesting how, you know, depending on who's uh, in power and, and depending on who's uh, making the calls, how some laws seem to count more than others. I, I can see that. I can see that because, I mean, what these – the five scheduled to be, or that were scheduled to be executed, I mean, what they did is, is just horrible, horrible. I mean, it, I, I've studied all five of the cases, and uh, all of them killed children, you know, in different, you know, text contexts. You know, some of them, two of them killing, you know, the uh, the wife and children of somebody else. And uh, so, I mean, you can't feel sorry for the person at all, but, uh, but sitting in those cells, they're for sure never going to hurt anybody again. So, yeah. you know, I, I, that, that's where I, I, you know, sometimes have a problem. And if, if these same guards that are taking them out to be executed are, are the ones, you know, charged with taking care of me and others, you know, what, what, is, it, what is really going through their heads as to how I'm supposed to be punished? <laughs> well, you know, it's an interesting thing. I've been studying humans and, and, and our way of thinking you know what drives us to do things in my in my effort to try to affect change out there you know if you can understand how we work and and if you can understand how we operate and what moves us uh, maybe I can be more effective you know I, I'm always trying to make some radical changes in the world and what i I came upon a study today or a couple of days ago that was showing the differences between male and female brains and females. Um, according to this study, anyways, have empathy 
and would be sympathetic in a situation where there's uh, a scenario where there's a, a good guy and a bad guy, and uh, there's a, a conflict, and the good guy prevails, and the bad guy loses and maybe suffers or dies. The woman brain generally, according to this study, feels some kind of sympathy or redeeming nature because of, you know, the humanity of it. Whereas a male brain considers there to be a reward in their own brain for uh, dispatching or, or, or punishing a bad person. And it's a different way of, you know, a different wiring that we have. And I wonder sometimes um, if, if that is evident when we have male and female judges issuing sentences and when we have male and female prison guards um, issuing punishments and those sorts of things. You know, you think about it, if somebody has empathy or, or even a little bit of sympathy or even an awareness of humanity, you're going to act differently than if you feel like you're doing the right thing by hurting somebody. I, uh, I, I can see how that would, would make sense. But I, I guess the other thing is, is uh, my perspective has changed a lot because when I was out on the street, I, I you know, was in favor of the death penalty. It just seemed to make sense that, you know, what do you do with a murderer you can't release, you know? But now... Now that I've been a prisoner for coming up on 18 years, instead of looking at the person, if they deserve to be killed or not, I don't even consider that. Like like I say, in this case, the, you, there's no way you could, you know, defend what any of these five people have done. But what, what, what I look at instead is, is not so much at them or what they did, but in terms of who's going to do what to them. That, you know, it's the, the prison guards, the same guards that are guarding me, are going to take and kill them. And our society, even as a whole, right. our society, that frees how many people every year that were wrongly convicted, you know, they're going to just put them to death because they, they believe that they, you know, committed this crime or they believe beyond a reasonable doubt that they committed this crime. I'm from Illinois, and uh, there was a big movement back in the... Uh, late 80s and 90s, and they actually walked 39 people off of Illinois' death row that were wrongly convicted. Wow. I mean, there's a statement right there that Illinois has since done away with the death penalty for good reason, but just because they don't have a system good enough to, you know, to, to figure out the innocent from the guilty. But like I said, my concern now is not looking at the person and what they did or what they deserve. But maybe it's from all those years of being in prison. I look at what are the guards and what is our society doing to those people? I'm judging not the, not the uh, murderer. I'm judging the people that are killing him. Yeah, no, I have to agree with you. And, and you know, if we're wrong one time and we, and, and we lock up somebody that's innocent or, or or even worse and execute them, you know, again, what is, what does that say about society? And, you know, you keep hearing every, I don't know, every month or two, it seems that there's somebody who gets released after being locked up for 30-plus years and, and you know, some new DNA test. And, and generally they're for violent crimes. I mean, I don't think, or for, for, for alleged violent crimes, that they were 
subsequently proven innocent or or that they didn't do that that crime that they were accused of and i and i have to just think about that you know i mean i've been accused by my government of things i didn't do and i've watched plenty of people get accused of things they didn't do and i have to think i have to think that there's got to be um there's got to be a better way, you know. We 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 have this jury system where that's supposed to be the, you know, the balancing act. That's supposed to be the thing that makes it all fair. But when you sit inside a courtroom and you see how the power that a judge has to to uh, deliver the the viewpoint of the evidence, you know, they don't ever show all the evidence. They show the evidence that the judge allows everybody to see. And they don't ever show the whole picture. They always show the picture that the judge lets them see. And I just can't help but think, after sitting in so many courtrooms, that there's a lot of people locked up that don't belong there. And I, you know, I think we got to look at that. I, I agree. I agree. I mean, there's so many trials that, you know, if you look at what what the person was not allowed to present in their defense, like in the marijuana cases. Why are they not allowed in most cases to make a jury nullification argument? Why not truly leave it up to the jury? Which is why juries were created in the first place to, you know, to, to so that they their convictions re- you know, reflect what the what the public, what your peers actually want. Now, why isn't juries allowed to, in the, in the case of a marijuana offense? To say that, well, you know, yeah, he had marijuana, but you know what? I don't see anything wrong with that. Well, you know, it it, it comes down to again, the judges have, you know, this ultimate power in their courtrooms, and and luckily, you know, we have higher courts that if you get something on the record, you can at least appeal it. But you're right. Um, you know, we had a case in Kansas where the defendant was trying to get jury nullification information out, and unfortunately, he was handing it out on the day that they were selecting his jury, and one of the people that he handed a card to that had information about his their rights as a juror took it to the judge, and they ended up locking up the defendant, saying that he was trying to tamper the jury, and the truth is, there, there's a way to do that where, where you don't expose yourself that way, but this guy... You know, took it on him on himself to, uh, you know, to do it a, a way that we would never recommend. Ultimately, fortunately, he's he uh, he's out right now, and and uh, they got a hung jury on the major charge, and and he got picked up on a couple of, of lesser charges. But um, you know, it's it's a crazy thing. You know, there's an art to teaching people about their rights without jeopardizing your own standing. And, and, again, these judges have such ultimate power um, in their courtrooms. And there's, you know, it takes uh, experience and some prowess to be able to navigate through it. And uh, like I was explaining before, my perspective now in looking at executing these people, I'm not looking at what the, what the prisoner did. I'm looking at, you know, what are the people killing them doing? And I, I think the same applies to, you know, also in a lot of these marijuana things, because how many of us, you know, how many judges and prosecutors do you think are actually enforcing laws they don't agree with? And I, I think that, you know, we, we need to take a look at our criminal justice system, you know, from the death penalty, 
marijuana. They they really suffer from, I think, a lot of the same, you know, the, the same problems. Well, you know, I, I, that's a big part of what our Walk for Change is about, and that's one of the main points that we're bringing into it is to evaluate and, you know, we, we need to make some fundamental changes to our criminal justice system. We've turned it into a big business. You know, we've got we've got courtroom dockets that are that are clogged up for weeks and months. We have jails and prisons that are crowded up. We have disproportionate uh, people getting getting uh, uh, jailed and sentenced and and uh, uh, charged of uh, 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 one group over another. And it's 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 really crazy what what it's turned into. And it needs to be overhauled. Well, there's your first uh, first beep, Craig. So I'm going to go ahead and let you uh, get your last minute or two. Well, I, I, I would probably uh, stay on the same subject. Uh, let's take a look at how we're punishing people. You know, how we're we're killing people under the death penalty. How we're punishing people uh, disproportionately. Uh, violent crimes get a sentence that's typically about a third a drug offender gets. I mean, that there, there's some fundamental problems in that that I, I think people need to be aware of, and they need to stand up and reach out to their to their congressmen and say, hey, this needs to be this needs to be reformed. This is, is wrong to everybody that looks at it. You're absolutely right, Craig. And, and, you know, I think that part of what we're trying to do is is wake people up and let them know that there's stuff that needs to be changed and that they can help. Well, I hope so. I hope that I'm... And there we go. Craig Cecil serving life in prison without possibility of parole. And, uh, you know, we've got a guest on the line right now by the name of Adam Kokesh. And um, this is a man who's running... For prison, I mean for president, for prison, I'm sorry, just making sure I got the right number. I don't have a screener today. We're going wild and wooly, and uh, so we will, I know Adam's number, so Adam Kokesh, welcome to the show. We're dealing with some technical glitches, and I'm not sure um, the the Zoom feed is, is acting up, but we've got you on the phone feed. And, uh, you know, if you were, you were listening in, you heard Craig Cecil. Craig is a, a man who's serving life in prison without possibility of parole on pot charges. And he's been in prison for more than 17 years. And um, unless we do something about it, he's never getting out. What are your thoughts on that? We're doing something about it. Well, you're right. We are doing something about it. And and that's where we're at is, um, you know, what we're doing about it is is bringing attention to it. We're, we're clamoring at the gates. We're demanding change. Um, we're organizing a walk across America, and we're voting out people that are not making the changes we want and hopefully voting in the people that will. Yes, it's a it's a very exciting time to be alive. Although I I do have to say, since since you introduced me uh, as a presidential candidate, uh, every, every time I hear that or I have to introduce myself, 
as a presidential candidate, I, I throw up in my mouth a little bit because you really have to be some kind of psycho to, to, to want to be president of the United States. And this platform that I'm running on is, is truly fundamentally different in that uh, I am technically running for president, but it's more accurate to say that I am turning the federal election into a referendum on whether or not the federal government should be allowed to exist at all, or if we should take it through a peaceful, orderly, responsible bankruptcy process that leaves us with 50 independent states and up to 562 sovereign native nations, and your freedom restored, your right to independence, to declare your independence, to, to create new forms of government, to break away from existing tyranny, to, to, to chart your own destiny, to get government ultimately the transition to a local level where it is a truly voluntary system based on your values that meets your needs. That's the, the what, what this campaign is really all about. So it, it, yes, it's technically true that I'm running for president, but it is it is kind of embarrassing to say that without without giving me the chance. I got to explain myself. And I, I'm, I, there was a great Freudian <laughs> slip you had. Uh, you know, yes, I'm running for criminal. Yeah, it is a criminal position. It shouldn't exist. Well, I got to tell you, the last or, uh, for several prison. Pres- I'm sorry. <laughs> Yeah, go ahead. No, go ahead. Finish your talk. Uh, no, no, I'm sorry. No, I just don't know. I just got the word wrong. You said prison earlier. I, I, I said criminal, but yes, it's a criminal <laughs> position. But no, yeah. you said we said running for prison. I was just referring to that. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, maybe it was a maybe it was a slip. You know, it's a it's an interesting thing. Our government is it's got the potential to really be a good thing, but you know what? It's all made up of these human beings that end up with all this power. And that just is a movie that never goes well, it seems. You know, it, it, uh, every now and again you get somebody that can, that can weed, wield power in a, in, a, in a good and positive way, but more often than not it turns into this very same thing that our founding fathers told us it would. You know, they, they, they warned us all about this. They said, better keep this stuff in check or it's going to get out of control. And here we are again, out of control. So Absolutely. Uh, it's an interesting uh, platform that you're talking about, and why don't uh, I, I'd like to talk to you about you know where you're coming from. You know the the political thing is really mm-hmm. so screwed up in so many ways. You know we got this two party system, and and you know every once in a while when a third party comes in and, and gets any um, any traction at all, they they bag on it saying, well you're undermining the process because you're just taking away votes from the from the one side or the other side and it's like well we were never really designed to be a yeah, party it's engineered that way mm-hmm. yeah exactly so you know i i supported gary johnson back back when he was running on on a libertarian yep, ticket me too. and i was me uh, too. some of the people that we were guys. working were traveling across the country i understand you're traveling about and uh, getting your name out there. Why don't you tell me a little bit about what, you know, what, what brought you to this? You know, this is a big step. I got people tell me all the time, oh, you should run for office. This <laughs> and that. I'm like, well, I, I, I'm, I'm going to do what I know how to do. And I don't know how to do that. So I'm going to stay where I, where I know how to do stuff. And well, what, what brought you to this place? Well, in a, in a sort of immediate complete reason in this is that because no one else is doing it. And this campaign really is not about me. I am very fortunate to be in a position to draw this particular particular line in the sand right now. And 
if someone more capable came along who said, you know, I, I've got a better plan to dissolve the federal government, I have more administrative experience, you know, I, I'd say, yeah, okay, well, maybe, maybe I'll be your vice presidential nominee if I can. Or, uh, you know, maybe I'll support you in some other way or in, and suspend my campaign. And I, I have no shame uh, associated for myself in saying that I, I understand we are proposing a, a major administrative task and that, uh, you know, I, I, I could be, uh, you know, better prepared. I could be a, you know, better guy for the job. And, and you know, as, as I guess Donald Rumsfeld, I would, I would quote Donald Rumsfeld, who oversaw the war crime that I was a party to when I was in the Marines. You don't go to war with the army you wish you had. You go to war with the army you have. And if you want to go back to the origin on this, it goes back to 2012 at the Bilderberg meeting. I got to meet Alex Jones and Jason Burmis, the original info warrior, and we were debating statism versus freedom. And he challenged me somewhere, uh, you know, during the conversation, oh, yeah, well, what would you do if you were president? And, <laughs> uh, you know, I was like, you know, I, I did the evil, you know, finger steeples, and was like, oh, oh, what would I do? You know, well, and then, you know, he, he said, no, but no, seriously, you know, what, what would you do if you, if you, if you had that power? And I said, I, well, I, I would quit, go home and get a real job. And he was like, no, okay, but how would you really, what would you, and I said, well, I, I just get rid of, you know, three parts. There, there are only three elements of government that, that I would just get rid of right away. The executive, the, the legislative and the judicial. And, and, you know, that would be it. But, uh, Right. So then, you know, he said, well, how would you achieve that? And, and, and started asking me, to, you know, and, and other people heard about this. And just over the years, you know, people asked different challenging questions. And, you know, I, at first I didn't even take it seriously myself. And then I realized that not only did this solve so many problems and hurdles that we face as a, as a libertarian movement, as a libertarian party, uh, but, but that there weren't any difficult questions. And, you know, it's funny. Most people don't want to, I'm, I'm a real policy nerd. Like I, I have gone through, I, I kind of have, I have this weird fantasy of being interviewed, like, like interrogated for six hours, you know, what would you do about this agency and that agency? Cause I have all the answers. Like I've gone through it all. There's nothing that's that complicated about this. There are very basic ethical principles based on the fiduciary responsibility of a bankruptcy agent paying back the American people, not the federal debt on paper. We declare bankruptcy, we get rid of that. That's intergenerational child abuse. To force your kids to pay for stuff they never had a say in. You turn 18 and you have a price tag, uh, you know, hundreds of thousands of dollars that, that, that's your share, so to speak. Of the national debt, that that's insane. So that ends, and we actually get to as best we can in liquidating the assets of the federal government, uh, give that back to the American people. Well, I think that um, you know, I I think that you and I have a lot we could talk about as far as the logistics of that and how how it would and could work. And and I'm not in any way opposed to that notion. I just would want to understand it better as to how, how it would and could work. We're not going to have enough time to get too deep into it on this call, but, right. you know, I, I do this show every week, and I, I, I'd love to have you come on regularly as, as, as we have time and as you have time to, to continue Absolutely. this discussion. Because I really think <laughs> that what the 
have with candidates is that you know they 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 live on talking points and they have stump speeches and they they don't ever engage they don't ever really have a solid answer and you don't ever really get a chance to ask them a real question and i I got a lot of great questions you know and uh all right i i I'd like to dig in deep on on some of these things and and you know let's I'm all about common sense, you know. I, I, I think that if we had a ministry of common sense that oversaw all the branches <laughs> of government, I think we'd have a much better situation. What do you think about that? Oh <laughs> uh, well, it, oh gosh, you know the uh, saying from uh, Iwo Jima from I forget the Navy admiral, the famous one in, in the Marines was saying, you know, co- uh, uncommon valor was a common virtue. And, and and when I was in the Marine Corps, we used to joke a lot. Uh, common sense is an uncommon virtue, and and I think there is something that if you look at the fundamental nature of government as a, as a coercive territorial monopoly, it, it is fundamentally opposed to common sense. It it it, it ruins the expression of common sense. It it is it is a stifler. Uh, of common sense and gets people to do things that are blatantly and obviously irrational by creating a, a warped incentive system. And, and so you know, our, our, our joke in the Marines was uh, common sense is an uncommon virtue. And I don't think you, if, if common sense is important to you, just like food, you should not trust government with it. No, no, indeed not. Well, and I think that that's, you know, one of the things you heard me talking about, um, jury nullification and and you know I, I i dig in and i look for places where the common man has authority and power in in a way that can't really be taken away from us if we if we know how to wield it and that's one of the places where you know even in this really screwed up uh justice system that we have the common man it levels the playing field if, if he knows how to do it right and but it, it it comes down to you know educating people and 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 bringing a truth to a place where it's not very welcome, and you know well, I, I think hold, that hold, hold on I I, I I I I'm sorry I got to respond to that man because I, I, this is such yeah. a, I I I re, before I forget because this is such an interesting deep point that you hit on here, um but but I I used to think that way too and I have I I believe I have evolved in this one point and it's I'm. Again, I'm sorry to interrupt, but I think it's really important, and I've never been inspired by anyone like you just now to, to really hit on this point, uh, which is that I, I used to think that that, that way, um, you know, that, that it, was, it was a matter of, you know, we have to convert everybody. You know, we have to wake up everybody. And that's in and of itself fundamentally contrary to the free market nature of this message of specialization of labor. Life is good. It keeps getting better despite how, how much government grows, how much is being stolen from us. Humanity marches on. Quality of life improves. And we, we should be taking this as an opportunity for leadership to say, look, you don't have to read a bunch of books. You don't have to learn a bunch of history. Come out, vote for localization once your life will get immediately better. Your experience under government will immediately be more customized to your values and your needs. Well, I, and I don't disagree with that in any way, shape, or form. I look at it this way, and, and as you come from a military background, you, you know that right. you, go, you, you go 
win the battle, you fight where you are. You you fight who you're fighting against until you don't have to fight them anymore. And you know, it's it, there's there's a lot of different ways to go about that, you know. And and you know, for me, I'm all about let's do everything we can. I, I'm I'm not opposed to any method of making change as long as you know we we we're making the changes that we want to see. Now. I'm going to bounce into a, into a into a spot that hits me right now because if if we go after this local authority where everybody has autonomy, I mean we could break it even down from states into into smaller regions even and and ultimately give yeah. everybody you know control yeah. over their own their own world. Exactly. But what keep that from turning back into you know how it was you know, thousands of years ago when it was like that. And then all of a sudden one group decided, you know what, I want what you have. I'm just going to go and take it. Because it's not about the historical trend of centralization of power that we have experienced over the course of the history of government, but the assertion of the right to independence, which is fundamentally American, how this country was started, the right to say, I'm not going to allow you to force me to be a part of your system. And in terms of the, the, this possibility, you, you point out this one dynamic in which it looks like the way things used to be, and, and, and I wouldn't disagree with that at all. I mean, it is certainly uh, a possibility when, as we transition to a voluntary society one way or another that in terms of the geographical division of, of government entities, you might see that uh, sort of atomized, but what's the – fundamental mark of progress here is the assertion of that right to declare your independence. And you are absolutely correct to point out uh, that this is really just the first step. And it, it is when we get, uh, you know, I, 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 an orderly process, there is an opportunity for, for doing this. This is not about upheaval. This is not about revolution. It's so, And it is revolutionary, but it is really more about evolution of continuing progress towards a more voluntary society and getting government localized, customized, less corrupt, and eventually based on communities instead of territorial claim, claims of existing political powers, that's when we'll see the, the completion of this transition. And I, I, I'm, I'm very optimistic. Uh, I, I think that's going to happen no, within our lifetimes. I support that entirely. I, I have, I've taken positions in my life that I was told, I don't know, if I, if I had a nickel for every time somebody said, well, you can't do that, I'd have a big old pile of nickels, and and you know I'm all <laughs> yep, for yep. Uh, I'm all for taking you know bold action because you know big changes don't ever happen from from little actions. They always happen because of bold action. And and who knows, you know maybe maybe you're reaching out in this way, taking this bold act, will bring about. Maybe it's not that way that you see that will cause what you want, but maybe it'll inspire. That thing that will. I mean, who knows where, how it all how it all comes together. I, I'm I'm curious. Let, let's fast forward. I'm all about. I say I say the best way to predict your future is to create it. I totally agree with that, and that's what I was going to get to. So let's 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 fast forward I- into your future, and let's just say somehow, some way, it all happened. All of a sudden, you got you got you got on the ballot. You got you got the votes. You got even. You got the electoral vote. Somehow, some way, all of a sudden, son of a bitch, Adam Kokesh is president-elect. What the hell do you do next? 
Oh, well, that's, you know, a relatively easy part. And that's the, the framework of the policy that you're getting at. There is one thing that I would do as president, and that's pardon as many people as possible, just to make it absolutely clear that everybody who's in federal prison or facing any federal persecution of any kind uh, is pardoned. And in a sense, it won't matter because all federal laws cease being enforced on day one, but at least that all of those who can be identified in advance are uh, released immediately. Of course, there will be a process of, if there aren't any that we name, they would be released later on as well. Um, as we transition uh, those people who should be locked up, who have committed crimes uh, with real victims and actually represent a threat to society, uh, they, they would, we're not talking about putting real criminals on the street. Uh, they would be transitioned to state custody. But uh, for you know Julian Assange and Ed Snowden and Ross Ulbricht and Chelsea Manning and, and all the other whistleblowers, uh, they, they will all be pardoned. That would be the one thing I would do as president. And then I sign an executive order that includes my resignation. It says the Constitution, according to the will of the people, is now null and void. And we are uh, continuing this process. You know, this is what we have laid out in advance, adhering to this exact policy. This is, the, the, you know, the legal document by which we achieve this and, you know, lay out the very clear expectations and responsibilities of, of everyone involved. And I resign. Uh, from the presidency to become custodian of the federal government, and that's the the bankruptcy agent role in in dissolving this corporation in a, a peaceful, orderly, responsible manner that pays back the American people, the true creditors and victims. Well, I I think that you got you have a a noble cause now because you have a noble cause, you've got a plan to get to it. How how is it that you know how is your campaign structured? You have I understand you got a big RV and you're touring around and and, and yeah. speaking where where you can, um, but you know you're up against you know literally billions of dollars and giant marketing campaigns, and I'm just you know and and, and I you know what I I support the shit out of what you're doing, and well, I you. think that I wish there was a hundred people just like you doing the same thing, and and yeah. and, and actually. Getting people to go, whoa! What are we doing? Well, with hold on. I, yeah, well, I should and, say and, there, there are, there, there are, there okay. are thousands of of candidates running with the Libertarian Party all over the country who are doing exactly that. Well, so so, tell me about your your campaign. Tell me about the you know the mechanics of it. What do you, how how are you, how are you operating? Like how do you get how do you get a speaking engagement? How do you get? Where do you go? Sure. You know, from, from where to where to where? What's 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 the plan, and how can people get engaged? Well, over the past few years, I've been touring, uh, doing a mix of state conventions uh, with the Libertarian Party and my own events, and recruiting people, and you know, pitching this idea to the hardcore base organizers, leadership of the Libertarian Party. And uh, it, it really is unifying. It really is exciting. Um, for the coming spring, we are going to be really laser focused on state conventions, getting our delegates out to the state conventions, uh, getting to meet as many of the uh, you know party leadership and, and you know uh, existing organizers, you know one on one, 
and and, and tell them what this campaign is about and, and why this represents not just an important step forward for America, but for the Libertarian Party to take a, a, a distinct departure from from all prior you know strategic assumptions that are kind of based on playing their game uh, about making this uh, a political message when really it's a message of ethics and, and, and philosophy and, and love and respect for your fellow human beings. And, and I think this platform really does uniquely represent that. So for people to get involved, the most important thing is to become a delegate and, you know, join our email list uh, at uh, at com. And if you can't remember how to spell my funny last name, it's all available through my main website with all my social media and everything else at thefreedomline.com, all three words, thefreedomline.com. And if you if you really, uh, you know, at the same time that we're focused on this, we do want to take advantage of the opportunity and give people the opportunity to use this campaign uh, as a means of expressing themselves and and using this as a vehicle to, to be surrogates, you know, to you know, anybody can sell this. If something happens to me, I, I really believe that the majority of the people who have committed to this campaign will keep going. Like we'll find some other hood ornament for this revolution. You know, we, you know, I, that, that that's my role here. And there's so many people who have stepped up to, to really make that a reality where, you know, I, I'm the one who's drawing the line in the sand, but it, you know, I, I, I just get to talk all day and, and, and do interviews and speak at events and meet people. And I love it. And, and, you know, when I'm, you know, organized and I have the support of a great team around me like I do right now and I get to be just the candidate and, and the representative of this message, you know, I'm I'm happy as a clam. I love it. Uh, I know I'm more likely to get assassinated than to win in 2020, but, you know, I'm, I'm going to go down with a smile on my face if that's the case. Yeah, you know, it's funny. That's what I always said when people would hit me up and say, hey, you should run for office. I'm like, you want to see me dead? Because that's likely what will happen. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, no, I'm going to be the one who tells the truth, right. Yeah, yeah no, and, and, and that, that's, a, that's a reasonable fear. You know, and, and I, I, I've put my life on the line for less worthy causes before, so I've, I have no problem saying that this is, this is far more worthy, this is, this is far more legitimate. We're really very fortunate to live in the most peaceful times in human history when, when even – you know, challenging authority in, in the greatest way possible. It's it's not like what our founders had to do, like actually put their lives on the line. And and I understand we all, you know, are called to make sacrifices and, and, and chip in and dig a little deeper and, and, and really, you know, connect with, with the meaningfulness of, of what it means to stand up for what is right and what is just in the world. And I, I'm just so grateful that in, in this day and age, it's so enjoyable. It's so fun. And, you know, compared to actually – you know, fearing for your life every day, as, 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 as you still do in the world in some countries, unfortunately. But, you know, at least in the United States, where we are today, certainly compared to where the founders were, it, it is a small price to pay for the next leap towards freedom. I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I, I know that you're aware of of what we're doing with our Walk for Change, and a big part of that is, is I think it's laying out, you know, maybe not the specifics, and the mechanism that you're talking about as far as the way government's going to change, but actually the changes that we want to see, the freedoms that we want to have, the liberties that we all have our right to that, that we want back. We want those things, and there's no reason that anybody should be able to tell me what right. I can and cannot do with my own body, my own property, my own Absolutely. Uh, any, anything I have to do with as long as it's not hurting somebody else. And we're walking across America specifically to make those changes, to bring those changes about, and by any means necessary in the sense of 
um, you know, given candidates an opportunity to tell us, well, what are you going to do about, you know, uh, these these human rights violations that we're dealing with? What are we going to do about the justice system? What are we going to do about uh, so many issues that we're still dealing with? And, and you're totally right. Mm-hmm. We do live in the best time for this. I wish more people would realize that, that we can get out there and march and not have to worry about getting fire hoses put on us and, and, and yep. you know, having yeah. people arrested up and clubbed and for the most part we can pretty much do this with without any fear and and that's why you know we're walking knowing that we can do this and we can be as 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 loud as we want and we can be as as clear with our message as we want and if we do it in, in a way that's not you know violent obviously you know this is all about um empowering ourselves to to bring our voice to to this, I see it as a compliment to what you're doing, and I and I certainly um, am hoping that we'll be walking together in in you know in this journey. Absolutely, there, there's a great synergy there, and I think w- one of the things that uh, you know, my supporters, my you know my my uh, audience over the years of, of media production has, has appreciated about uh, you know the unique perspective that that I bring to this is that just, uh, you know, a, a sort of optimism grounded in reality, uh, you know, and, and a hopefulness because I can see that, that longer-term historical picture and that we are making progress, that humanity dances forward, that th- this is, in a sense, an, an inevitable uh, step forward for humanity to, to continue to get better. And, and as we have so progressed in embracing ethics, that we are no longer making the exception for government. Don't hit, don't steal, don't kill, unless you're a cop, soldier, or IRS agent. And this <laughs> synchronicity that you see, like you are alluding to there, uh, w- when you're able to see that bigger picture, that this is not uh, something that you figured out or I figured out. This is something, or, or that it's uniquely American even. It is inherent to human nature and human progress that, that we create uh, a better world. And, and right now that means in, in, in the most urgent sense, you know, getting rid of government coercion. Absolutely. Well, listen, Adam, we're about out of time for this round, but I definitely want to go deeper with you on a number of topics. And, um, you know, we'll just schedule it up. I know you and uh, Pete and Helen are are in communication, and and they're helping to schedule my guests. So um, I definitely would like to get deeper into this. And uh, I really appreciate you coming on, and hopefully we'll have our Zoom figured out next time. You know, every once in a while you get these technical glitches. We've been doing really good for the last little bit, but this one I don't even know if it's being uh, it's it's being recorded. Being recorded right now. Hey Adam, <laughs> everything is fine. All you had to yeah. do was do it like do it, y'all. Man, killing me, killing me. Oh. All right, Adam. Well, I appreciate you being here, and uh, I'm going to give you a last second plug. If uh, somebody wants to reach you, get a hold of. Uh, you, you and to help out in any way, how do they get a hold of you? Yeah, well, the, the website to remember is thefreedomline.com, thefreedomline.com, all three words there. You can get my book there for free. You can find the campaign website. Everything else I'm doing online is connected through there. And uh, I'm really grateful for this opportunity. I, I should say one last thing. If, if people want to email me, uh, adam at thefreedomline.com. Uh, I, I really appreciate it. all the, the, the mail that we get there and, and everybody who, uh, you know, is sharing their enthusiasm about this message that way. It's all very encouraging. And I, I will just end by saying thank you for this opportunity. 
And as much as I'm a techno optimist and, and believer in the, the you know, beautiful progress of this great dance forward for humanity, the technology means nothing without deliberate conscientious use. And that means shows like this, that means independent media, that means activism and getting out there and people like you having an audience that supports you. So I just encourage anybody listening to share this episode to support this production because this is how we do it. You betcha. Thank you so much, Adam, and I look forward to talking to you soon in the future. Peace and love, y'all. All right. Adam Kokesh, folks, and uh, I can see this as a recurring uh, guest, and we're uh, technically out of time, and I know I promised I was going to do a one-hour, one-hour show. However, I did not have a screener, and I'm going to do a lightning round of screening right now real quick, and I'm going to get to a couple of, of, of points that I still needed to make. So first of all, we're talking about the Walk for Change, and um, we've got a new sponsorship and a volunteer page up on walk4change.us, and we're getting some folks that are signing up. We're getting a team together, and I'm going to be specifically engaging folks to, uh, uh, to help out. We've got people signing up to help out with our, uh, our media, social media, um, I've got some people saying I'll do whatever I, whatever you need. Um, we need people, boots on the ground. We need leadership. We need team. Uh, we we need support teams. We need resources. We need hell. We need we need funding to pay for our tennis shoes. We need food. We need all the stuff that it's going to take to get a whole team of people from the west coast to the east coast. And there's a lot of ways to help and it could be so simple as donating a couple of bucks to uh, manning the support team for uh, a, a leg of the journey and I encourage you to get on to walkforchange.us sign up on our email list we're putting together a, a, a newsletter so we can bring everybody up to speed you're going to be seeing a lot of uh, short videos that are updating everybody as we're getting closer and closer to announcing our start date and our locations um, and all this stuff that's getting organized right now. So um, one of the things that sponsors get, and we have a T-shirt that's about to be uh, printed, so there's going to be actual sponsorship um, featured on our T-shirts. Uh, that's one thing that, that sponsors get. You're going to get recognition on the website, walkforchange.us. And if you're a sponsor that's of a certain nature, you'll be able to send us a little sponsor plug for the multiple podcasts that we have. And here's an example of one of our sponsor podcasts. Have you heard? Heard what? About Willow Creek Springs CBD products. These products are relieving pain in as little as one to five minutes. One to five? Yes, one to five. You can't beat that. 100% THC-free drops, rubs, and anti-aging, and they even have for our pets. For pets? Yes, all natural, no chemicals, non-addictive. That's a no-brainer, right? Right. All products are handmade, handcrafted, made in small batches to ensure quality and effectiveness. So go to willowcreeksprings.com today to find your local rep. Awesome. And that's Willow Creek Springs, folks. They are a sponsor for the Walk for Change, a local company that cares enough to uh, make some changes, wants to end prohibition so that these companies can exist without having to worry about any of the prohibition-related problems that we're all still facing. Um, all right, we're going to do
do a quick lightning round here. I've got a few calls, callers on, and we're going to go through everybody, see who you are. If you don't have anything to say, uh, either don't answer me or, uh, hell, at least just say hi. All right, this is uh, 714. Uh, who am I talking to? Hello? One. Yes. Oh, hi, Joe. It's Jackie Cordova down in the 714. Oh, awesome, Jackie. All right, well, I didn't have a screener today, so I'm doing a quick lightning round. Any quick shout-out you want to throw at, at us? I just want to say hi to all my family. Thank you for what you do and take care. Awesome. Thank you, and uh, we'll talk to you again real soon. All right, up next we got 213. Hello, you're on the air. Who am I talking to? Hello, Dee Dee, is that you? Joe, am I on the air? <laughs> I'm just saying I, hi. I, I don't, I don't oh have a screener God, today, I, so I just wanted I to see who was, all, who was all listening. <laughs> uh, now, okay, we pray for Michael Thompson, and yay. and Okay, love you, Joe. Over and out. All right, so much. <laughs> I didn't catch you off guard. All right, up next we got 316. Who do I got on here? 316. Is that me, Joe? Oh, hey. All right, so we got Mike and Sarah from Kansas. We're going to go real quick through this lightning round. But uh, you guys were present during a trial, and, man, we had we had some struggles, and we had uh, a great outcome in the end. And I kind of told Craig a little bit about what happened. Um, but we had a defendant who um, – uh, he's a California resident, had a case in Kansas. He was a, had a medical card in California, but um, he took it upon himself to go handing out jury cards. And um, next thing you know, I get a frantic call, and uh, why don't you quickly go through what happened? <laughs> well, as, as we went through the court, the, the, the couple of jurors actually gave the prosecutor the pamphlet and the jury notification card and the judge read them out on the bench. They revoked his bond and uh, reinstated it at 70 and said they would reset his bond later at the hearing. Anyway, we sat there. They mentioned us several times during the trial. They like stopped it because Sarah was nodding along with what the witness was saying. And the judge says, we're not going to have any manipulating of pointing out certain things, you know, by nodding or doing things to the jurors. And so they were, they treated us like we were mobbing the jury on purpose, like trying to bully them or something. And then at the end of the hearing, the prosecutor, the, the, they were like fixing to leave. Like there's no jurors in there. Everybody's packing their bags, you know, and the judge is like, is there anything else, you know? And the defender is like, uh, yeah, my client about his bond. And so the judge and the prosecutor go on and they just start talking crazy. Like we've never seen bullying like this in my 22 years of service. This may happen in other counties, but it's not happening in Geary County. And so, I mean, I was sitting here listening to it. They could have just engaged me or us right there. You know, we were all in the courtroom. So I just raised my hand and the judge just lit me up. Uh, he said, he asked me, uh, he said, excuse me, you know, extremely aggressively. And I stood up and said, Your Honor, I thought I would introduce myself. And he said he didn't care who I was. I mean, I mean he's like yelling at me. I don't care who you are, bailiff, get him out, you know. And then they, I left. But uh, 
They took him to jail yeah. and doubled his bond. It was a bad deal. Yeah, I want to point that out. So this is this is a thing that, you know, I, I've unfortunately seen judges all over the country, you know, behave in a way like this, and it's just it's one of the one of the finer points of of doing court support. You know, the one of the first things that I think is most important is that we go in there and we're dressed well and and and, and we have our our best manners on. You know. Um, have your cell phones off and 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 you gotta you know keep awake and you gotta you gotta you know just pay attention and 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 not be distracting but the problem is is you know you don't know how it really works and you think you know if you're in a situation like you said where the court was actually done and you were sitting there you think you raise your hand and that's a, a respectful way to get somebody's attention to say I'd like to, you know, at least let you know why I'm here or, or what's going on. and But unfortunately, a judge really doesn't give a damn what's going on out on the other side of the bar, and it, unless it's a distraction or a bother, in which case he dispatches with it, which is what happened to you. And it, it's just a, it's a, it's a lesson that, you know, I know you, you, you're a quick learner, and I know that uh, – you know, as we're going forward teaching people how to to be effective in the courtroom, those are little things that, you know, we think, and it's, it's really hard because I've sat in trials where you hear just the most horrible things happen and you watch people get stifled and they're not able to, to, to present their evidence or you get cops testifying and saying crazy things and, and they get to do all the nodding they want and the jurors get to you know, suck all that up, but the second a defense witness comes up and says something the judge doesn't like, boom, you know, it gets stifled and, and evidence gets uh, not admitted and all kinds of stuff happens. And sitting there in, a, in the in the gallery as a supporter, sometimes you just get driven nuts. Like you just you just want to scream out. You want to you want to say something. So what do we do instead? We we smile or we nod or we 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 shake our head yes or no or any of those things. And unfortunately, you know, the way a court's set up, they're above you and they're looking down on you and they see everything you do and anything you do just pisses them off. And there's not anything you could do aside just sitting there quietly looking ahead that will not piss them off. And that's what we learn as we're going through to be effective. So, um, but, okay, so know, you called me up first night and you told me, the guy got taken out of, out of the courtroom and remanded into custody, and we were both pretty bummed. And I, you know, we were at the better say some good prayers phase of this. And then what happened? Uh, they they got a they got a hung jury on the 19 pounds, and they got him with the lowest level of a felony for no drug tax stamp, and he got a misdemeanor possession of marijuana. The problem is that they are going to retry him. He is home. He's free. But they are going to retry him, and so beginning of next month, we're going to have to set up shop in that little town, and believe me, they are going to be very unhappy. Well, you know, and, and that's the key to this is coming coming at it with a plan, and you go out there when they're not selecting your jury, and that's when you go out there handing out your literature, and we will provide all the literature you need and make sure that there's plenty of it, but that's the key is, is educating people in a in a time when they don't have they can't be considered a juror because 
they haven't been selected, and that's that's sort of that that fine line, you know. And and of course, you know, you're thinking to yourself, well, shit, how am I going to know who to send this thing to? Because there's no way to know who's going to be a juror. That's that's just the way it is, and and you never know. You educate one person, who knows? Maybe six months from now they'll get picked on another jury, and 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 go, you know what? I I, I remember what they told me. I don't have to. I don't have to do what that judge tells me, <laughs> and uh, you know, I I I think it's always a worthwhile uh, endeavor, you know, to get out there and start blanketing the area. We have an advantage here in Kansas because it's a small town, and as soon as we bomb a hundred people, the entire community is going to know within a short period of time. We've also got a yeah. couple of companies that are there. There's a CBD company, and there's a tattoo parlor there that's got a hookah lounge, and they are friendly. And so we've already right. dug in some stuff. We just got laid into this game because we didn't know he was going to trial until yeah, it was yeah, really too to late to do anything. Right, right. And you know but what? Now- it, it happens that way. And, you know, the, the the thing is, is we live and we learn. And, and sometimes being in a smaller town works in your advantage. You know, people are people. And you engage people. You look them in the eye and you start talking to them. And, frankly, people don't support bad guys, Okay. And when they see that there's communities standing up and actually supporting, you know, your your judge probably thought, like you told me, you know, that, that, that this guy was, you know, bringing in his thugs, trying to intimidate. Well, okay, whatever. He gets one free pass on that because he didn't know any better, and and whatever. It is what it is. He was the judge, and, and you weren't. But now it's another, it's another uh, set of rules, and, and now it's just about showing community support and – you know, the truth is, bad guys don't ever get support, and, and there's just something that, that connects with people when they see that, hey, there's somebody standing up for this guy. Um, maybe we should maybe we should take this seriously, and it's just the way it is. Well, I think that what we did do there and even maybe some of the actions that he took actually helped him, you know. I mean, it is what it is, you know. There was one guy that had that. There was that we know for sure that there were some people there who were familiar with what our cause, and they were part of the system. So, and the somebody stood up and said, "Hey, man, I'm not doing this." And and you know that at least one of those jurors said, "Uh, uh," and and so you know, in 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 some small way, uh, did they tell you how it was hung? What how many jurors were were for and against? A few. I don't think they said for sure how many. I mean, they might have told him, but I didn't get that information. And I talked to him afterwards. He called me, and, you know, he was he he loved us. You know, he was super glad we were there. He said part of the most wonderful thing about it was while they were railroading him through everything, you know, he had somebody to look at and when he was, you know, running his hands over his head like, God, you know, and he had somebody to look at to feel his pain with him, you know, to share that. He said that had a lot of value to it, and he really appreciated it. We definitely have help from higher power on this one, though, for sure. <laughs> I have no doubt. Like I said, yesterday was a time for prayers. And, uh, you know, I, 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 we're, we, we serve a righteous cause here, and that's, and that's the end of it. So, you know, we're, the truth is, is always in our favor. And shining a light on, on anything causes the rats and cockroaches to scurry away and the stars to stand up on stage, and that's what we're doing. And so, you know, that's that's how it is. I'm so proud of you guys, and, and 
you're bringing it and and you're showing how it how we do it and every time we go out we learn a little bit and we get more and more people engaged I, I see some of the the same faces and hearing about some of the folks showing up we're building teams so you guys are just doing great I appreciate everything you're doing Thank you. Thanks, Joe. Joe. And Chris has been driving out all, every day too. Every time we've gone to anything, Chris has been there too. So I, he's helped I us tremendously. To him in particular, I knew he came out. So Chris Howell, you're you're a rock star too. I appreciate it. You know, anybody who's ever come to court support, um, or been supported, or or needed support, just remember, you know, everybody's taking a day off of work. Everybody's driving miles and miles, and and you know, we don't get paid for this. We do this as a labor of love, and it is, it is, in my opinion, one of the most worthwhile things anybody could do. So get engaged. If you hear about court support, just come out there, man. Just come out there and be part of it. So, all right, uh, Mike and Sarah, Kansas chapter, how does somebody get a hold of you if they want to get engaged and be there for this next campaign? Uh, the Human Solutions International, we're all over the place. You look Kansas up the Kansas chapter. We're easy to find yeah, on right Facebook. On. Anywhere. We're all over the place. Anywhere you find human solution, we're there. Uh, also, Joe, just so that you know, um, the Parents for Pot does a like a um, cannabis prisoner fundraiser every Christmas time. Um, so uh -huh. I went ahead and put in from us and you guys, obviously, too. I went ahead and donated one of the, the hemp scrubs to that cause. Awesome. So you'll see that post going around. Too. Fantastic. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. Thanks for having us, Joe. All right, you guys. You bet. We'll talk soon. Um, okay, so here we go. I think I've got Tom Corby on this last line on Frank's on Frank's uh, phone. Um, the last thing I want to bring up, and this is really cool. We've been growing. We've been, uh, you know, what happens is when you when you get into a groove and things start working, people start stepping up. And what's happening now is a revitalization of our prison outreach program. And, you know, about eight years ago, we joined forces with a, another prison outreach program that was doing letter writing campaigns and things like that, and uh, we absorbed that other group and went off. And at one point, we had, I don't know, four or five big-time activists that were getting out there and finding all the pot prisoners and... Uh, we had a lot of engagement, and then, you know, people come and go, reasons, seasons, and lifetimes, and egos, and all the other problems that, that come from it, and what happened is, is a lot of folks went off and started their own thing, and now there's a lot of prison outreach groups out there that are doing the same sort of thing, but the truth is, we've always been doing it. We've we've always had a, a policy of, of uh, you know, pay, or pen palling. Uh, writing letters, giving a voice to these guys, and uh, uh, being friends, you know, helping them out. We're working on, in the back uh, channels with uh, Michael Thompson, with uh, uh, Craig Cecil, and, and, and many others over the history. And we support Michael Pelletier with his art and, and so many things that we've done. I couldn't even begin to name them all. And, and so what's happened is, is uh, two of our members, um, Terry and uh, Scott and Nikki, actually, well, three of our members, 
um, have agreed to dig in and uh, take over or, or, or spearhead our prison outreach program. So uh, next or this coming Friday in two days, we're having our company holiday party at my place, and uh, we're going to be having our first uh, headquarters chapter meeting in a little while. And so we're going to be doing a letter writing campaign here at Willow Creek Springs. So anyways, um, it's a time when a lot of people are going to have a lot of joy and a lot of family, a lot of fellowship, and it's also a time when there's a lot of loneliness and uh, suffering that happens at the same time. And just got to stop and remember some of these guys who uh, don't have access to their family the way we do and um, all, all of the freedoms that we have, not everybody does have. So um, think about that as we uh, reach out, lend a hand, and, uh, you know, say something nice. All right, I think I've got Tom Corby here. Let's see what's going on. Tom Corby, are you there? Hello, Tom. Yes, he's here. he is here with me, Joe. How are you doing today? I'm doing great. We have a little bit of technical difficulties, but as always, we find our way through it, and everything's good. This is right. This is correct. Well, here is the man, Mr. Tom Corby himself. All right. Oh, right. <clears throat> well, thank you, Joe, and and uh, of course, uh, all those on the front line, Lisa, Mary, Becca, and the Coffee Party Radio Show. And uh, I don't know why uh, when I called in today, uh, it said call back later. Uh, I haven't <laughs> had that happen. <laughs> I haven't had that happen in what ten years we've been doing this radio show, and I've never had that happen. So glad I have yeah, Frank's phone here today. Tonight. <laughs> yeah, there we go. Full moon tonight. And here was uh, Dar- Daria, Suzanne, today. And hey, I want to thank going. them for all. It's going. <laughs> it's, it's going, yeah. And thank them for all their help. Uh, and so when we talk about these cases, uh, uh, Jackie Cordova's case, uh, it just uh, it kind of baffles me. I've never had a case quite like this, Joe. That that uh, she was just sitting in her car and they smelled. Marijuana, we use the word cannabis, and did that give them probable cause <clears throat> to arrest her? And then they just detained her in the in the back of the car, and and charged her with with uh, smoking mar- uh, uh, cannabis in public and refusing a misdemeanor complaint uh when we talk about complaints uh my understanding is without a complaint there is no case and at the supervisors meeting here years ago we beat the smell that is not probable cause uh moreover on her case uh she was never read her rights so nothing she said can be held against her as far as i know Jackie's pretty sharp on this. Whatever she says was the right thing to say. And uh, that's good for all you to know out there. If you don't know what to say, it's best just not say anything. Just talk to my attorney. 
Uh, I've been understanding, too, that Rodney Jones, uh, ex-mayor up in Anderson, told me that even even if you say something good in your favor, they they won't use it. They'll they'll keep it out uh, on motions in the mean. Uh, also, she was never she was never booked. Uh, there was no jail, and, if there, and there's no document number, and so I I just don't see how there could actually even be a case more than maybe just a, a citation, like a hundred dollar jaywalking ticket. I don't see where there's well, even the a case is, here. Tom, one of the problems with that is that they they do this kind of stuff and they screw with you. And because you don't know, it's almost worse when you don't know because they've got three years to charge you on a felony, and I, I think they've got a year to charge you on a misdemeanor. And so they can do that, unfortunately, and stay within their bounds. And for that period of time, at any given time, they could end up charging you, and you may or may not even know about it. And, you know, you could end up finding that you missed a court appointment because you didn't you didn't keep checking. You know, they don't always they don't generally even send you a notice, a notice to appear. They just put you on the calendar and you better show up. So, you know, it's just another way they punish you with the process if they so decide. And that's one of the reasons we gotta change this. We gotta end it once and for all. And, you know, we've already decided in California that we want access to this plant. How we let it remain a crime still baffles me. Yeah, and I savvy that. And so she's, uh, I guess she has uh, another thing. I guess she has a PD assigned to her. I don't see how that's possible. There's not, I don't even see the case here. There's no document number. And then she's going to try to get her discovery. I'm thinking, well, what discovery? And of course, we know that our the police report is our first discovery. And the way I understand it, uh, that once you get your doc number, your case number, and the date, you can Google it online and actually get your police report. So Jackie's working on it. And again, when they arrest, take people like Jackie, Frank, and Ann. And Donna and I, Joe Grumbine, all of us, and take us to jail for this plant. They bust and arrest the wrong people. We're not some young kids running around. We've been there and we've done that. So we stand our ground. Uh, We always take them to trial. We make no deals. We throw everything at them. We make them sick of us. We're going to subpoena the officers. They must take the stand. When you start throwing lawsuits and injunctions out there, that's what they have ears to hear. And I just want to shout out to our friend Bobby, Jared up there, and uh, Nor NorCal, Crescent City. And uh, I hope he's doing better. And he's also still taking his case on, taking the trial, and always file an injunction and a lawsuit. That word injunction is worth looking up. Most all these cases are an injunction 
which is a lawsuit. Okay, I want to I want to thank everybody today for standing your ground, coming together, and volunteering to finally be the solution to end this failed war on our sacred plant cannabis plant and free all our POWs. Cannabis should be there should be no schedule and. And, and prohibition is on the horizon. We can all see that. And it's just a matter of time. I just hope that I live long enough to finally see today that we end prohibition and stop the madness. Uh, thank you all today for another great historical show. And don't forget to breathe. All right, Tom Carvey, North Cal Chapter of the Human Solution International, and I want to thank everybody that helped make this show possible, and uh, we will talk to you all next week. This is Cup of Joe, home of the one-and-a-half-hour, hour-long show, and we got Willie Nelson to say goodbye to I am Willie Nelson, and the Willie Nelson Teapot Party and I endorse the human solution, supporting cannabis prisoners because no one should go to jail for a plant. Little things I should have said and done, you were always...